If the Bible's got you tied in knots, if you're burdened with religious thoughts, come grab a drink and join the choir. It's Heretic Happy Hour. Well, hey everyone, welcome to the Heretic Happy Hour. Oh my goodness, it is the first podcast of the new year. We are so, so excited. We've got some amazing shows planned for you guys coming up here. Uh, and we can't wait to jump into this one here as well. Uh, but again, uh, real quickly, I'm going to do some introductions. Um, my name is Keith Giles, and I am one of your hosts. Uh, I'm the author of Jesus Untangled, Crucifying Our Politics to Pledge Allegiance to the Lamb. And uh, I am joined by my good buddies, Jamal and Matt. Hey, guys, say hi. Hi, guys. I'm Jamal Javanji, author of Free to Love, um, and it's a pleasure to be with you guys in this new year. And I'm Matt Stefano, author of uh, three books and a fourth one coming out here on Choir Publishing. Um, it's actually going to be called Heretic. I think we've I've said that before. Um, and I'm really excited about the new year and uh, excited to dive in to uh, this, this episode that we have for you guys. Um, Keith, do you want to do you want to tell our listeners um, what we have coming up in the next couple episodes? Yeah, I'll give you guys a little bit of a sneak peek if you're curious. Uh, so yeah, in this new year, oh my gosh, we have so many great interviews and great um, guests coming on. Uh, one of the things we're going to do in the very next episode, so the one after this, so be uh, be looking forward to this. Uh, we're doing our next podcast is going to be on gender wars, and Amanda Iosa is that how we say that name? I think so. Yeah, uh, is going to be our yeah she's uh, she's going to be our guest. Uh, Throughout the whole podcast, I think, right? She's going to stay and, and kind of be a... Yeah, I think she's going to be our uh, token woman guest. Isn't that right? Oh, God. Yeah, something like that. And uh, and our heretic of the week is Jory Micah, which we've done... We did this interview, gosh, it feels like years ago. But uh, we're finally going to be able to, to share that with you. And so many other great things uh, coming up. Uh, I... I, I if I just start talking now, the whole podcast will be telling you all the cool things we're going to do in the future, but I'll, I'll stop. But good things are coming, guys. This is going to be, I think, even better year for the Heretic Happy Hour. Yeah, but before we get into this episode, let's uh, let's get a word from our sponsor, which is uh, Unfundamentalist. Um, they are a group focused on fo- following Jesus' commandments to love God and neighbor and is dedicated to opposing the toxic, power-mongering, fear-inflaming nonsense that is inherent in economic, political, societal, and religious fundamentalism. They are a blog. Booyah. Yeah, booyah. Uh, they're a blog that you can find at unfundamentalist.com or on Facebook at facebook.com backslash unfundamentalist. And uh, yeah, love them. Uh, Jamal, do you have uh, do you have something to announce? You know, <clears throat> I do. And, you know, I know it's Christmas has passed, um, but um, we still have gifts to give. And one of the gifts that we give to our listeners and, and I don't know if uh, everyone knows about this, but <clears throat> one of the gifts that we really pride ourselves in giving to the listeners is this thing called the Heretic Hotline. And um, the, and here's the number. Let me just read the number before I forget it. It's 240, the number three heresy. So 2403 heresy. And you can call, you can actually leave voicemails, and you can also send texts to that number and we will be able to queue up those texts mm-hmm. as well as the voicemails to share on the podcast. And speaking of queuing up texts, <clears throat> we actually have a couple texts um, that I would love to read that came into the heretic hotline. So this is, this is fantastic. It's one of my favorite things about the hotline is that we can like communicate directly with people. Um, and so <laughs> other and there's other means too, but um, so let me, let me read those. It's, 
the first text that um, queuing, that we're queuing up here that came into the Heretic hotline um, is this one. Absolutely love and appreciate your podcast, guys. A welcome breath of fresh air and fresh thinking every week for this millennial, none and done seeker undergoing deconstruction for a more traditional evangelical upbringing. It gives me hope and encouragement that folks like me are not alone. The ones who no longer claim to have absolute, quote unquote, correct beliefs in certain propositional truths coming from an absolute authority. I cannot have certainty or agreement anymore, and that's okay. Wisdom, careful, conscientious thinking abounds, and that's as close to the way as I can get right now. Let this be an encouragement to you. Keep doing what you're doing. Right now, it's very hard for me to find a community, but this is a great place to start. And that's from Emily K. And so thank you so wow. much, Emily. That's such a beautiful, yeah, just a beautiful, a beautiful text. Thank you for that. And it's a, it, we really received that as an encouragement. So I'm so glad you're enjoying the this podcast and that's it's bringing you a lot of just answering some questions and just giving you a place to to flesh out what you're what you're going through. So it's it's beautiful. And and we also have a second one. <clears throat> oh yeah. Here's a second one that came into the heretic hotline. Guys, put on put on your raincoats cuz I'm going to gush. This podcast has brought so much joy into my life. I've waited over 40 years for this kind of clarity and freedom to just let God be whatever and whoever he is. For everybody, uh, not just for me and my and my ilk, assuming I actually have an ilk. <laughs> I'd actually, I, I'd suggest building three tabernacles: one for Keith, one for Matt, uh, one for Jamal. Um, but that's been done. <laughs> so uh, that's awesome. Uh, thank you for uh, thank you for that. Um, whoever that was, I uh, really appreciate that um, that text. And that's we definitely received the encouragement, and uh, very glad that there's no tabernacles being built for us. But yeah, I hope not. Yeah, yeah I hope not. <laughs> yeah. But gosh, you know, guys, I do want to say thank you so much because it really does mean a lot to us to know that people appreciate what we're doing. And uh, when we get texts like that and, and some of us have gotten, you know, messages just on Facebook and, and in person uh, like that. And uh, and here there was one from a millennial and one from someone in their 40s or more, at least as they waited over 40 years. So maybe they're in their 50s. Uh, it's just great to know the kinds of people that we're touching and to know that it does mean so much to so many people. That's what's, I think, blown us away is, you know, the three of us getting together to talk about theology and, and things you're not supposed to talk about uh, has been such a blessing to so many people. So that's so great to hear. We're going to try to continue uh, to bless you guys. And uh, thank you for that. And so now it's time for the Heretic of the Week. It's the heretic of the week. Hey, I'm Derek Webb, and I'm a heretic. Hi, Derek. Hi, Derek. Hey, how's it going? It's like a group therapy meeting. <laughs> that's that's so, like what we're here for. Yeah, I say that, and everyone greets me. That's that's nice. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, Derek, hi. This is uh, Jamal, and um, I, I don't know that if you remember me specifically. We've met. We've actually met. Um, I used to live in Nashville a few years ago. Okay. Actually, remember you? I was in a Krispy Kreme one time getting some donuts, and I think I saw you in there. <laughs> the other time I saw you is actually I was in Waco, Texas, at this little coffee shop called Common Grounds, and you were you were, you were sure. playing. Oh uh, yeah, I've been there many times. I love, I love, yeah. uh, love that little shop. Yeah, a friend of mine used to own that place, and Jill. Jill so oh and, yeah, I love Jill. Yeah. Yeah, so it's been a few years, but I've always okay. appreciated your work. You and I know you were part of Cademan's calls that right way back in the day. 
Is that I right? was, yeah. We started the band in the early 90s, like 92. That's right. That's right. And then you've obviously, you know, kind of transitioned off, uh, in, obviously, into your solo career. Um, but I wanted to ask you this question. Um, obviously, uh, I've appreciated your work and you're pushing a lot of, uh, you know, you're really ask, you know, asking lots of great questions through your work. And um, that's gotten you in some trouble over the years. And I was just wanted to ask you, why, why do some people think you're a heretic? Uh, I don't know. It's, I, I, I feel like answers to questions like that are a little above my pay grade. Like that, that, like my, I feel like my job as an artist is to look at the world and describe it. Like look at the world and tell people what I see. That's, that's any artist's job description. And what happens as a result of my doing that job, if I'm doing it well, is kind of, it's, well, it's not kind of, it's absolutely beyond my control. And it's a thing that I've just really never concerned myself too much with. So, um, I mean, I, I have always been just as pleased with people standing and clapping as people standing and leaving. I'm, I'm, I'm equally gratified in either. So, um, I just like people paying attention, um, and listening and using their brains. And, um, so I don't have, I don't feel like I've ever had any particular agenda of any kind about it or with it, but, um, I, I have for sure, found myself in hot water a few times over the years, but I, I mean, I just kind of all see it as, as uh, you know, the risk to the profession. Mm-hmm. I really love that. I really love what you said there about, um, you know, just being okay with if people stand, give you a standing ovation or walk away. I think that's true freedom right there. Yeah. Well, I mean the, the, the I feel like a lot of the craft of, of being an artist and for me has been to try and, uh, identify, discern, and then uh, dismantle any filters, any internal filters that I have that would that would alter um, what my instincts of describing the world as I see it and what you might hear on a record. And I, and, uh, in other words, to like kind of pre-filter it before it even has a chance to live or exist or mean anything to anybody. Um, you know, I've always kind of felt like my job is to, uh, or part of the job that I'm doing, the internal work is to find where those filters are. Um, where are my fears about it, about the work and how do I dismantle, deal with and dismantle those filters and fears in order that the work can be as genuinely honest as possible because it's only ultimately as effective or resonant as it is honest. And so that's really the fight, you know, I was going to say, do you think maybe you're too honest for some people? That was my question. (laughs) Um, I don't, I don't know that you can be too honest. Um, it's like in the same way that there's no such thing as bad information. Um, I think that I can for sure, be um a bad match with somebody i mean the the you know our uh, music and art is really important to people and it's 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 the providing of emotional soundtrack for people's lives and i think that while we might have a scene together um i might not be the soundtrack for the whole film you know for for somebody and um, and I'm okay. I'm, I'm more than okay with that. I'm, I'm, I'm super happy for anyone to spend any, um, season with me or be resonant for any amount of time. I'm really happy with that. And I'm okay with people leaving. Like I, it's more, it's more that 
people have a hard time, like they, because they feel connected for a time, they, they, they have a hard time leaving and what winds up happening, like they're not okay with you changing in ways different than the ways that they're changing. And, um, and in as far as people are not okay with that, and thanks in no small part to the internet, um, and all the strange opportunities that it affords us, um, it folks mostly kind of stick around to watch the ship go down and they stick around, they stick around to, uh, Oh, did I, I did I say a curse word? Um, <laughs> yeah, to watch this. Yeah. Do I, yeah. Boy, oh, okay. so, some little, little, little itchy, itchy yeah, trigger right. finger over there. A little trigger happy on the old, don't worry. I'll, I'll give you plenty of opportunity, but, um, that means, that means I get a couple right, of freebies though freebie. from here. Uh, yeah, but pe- but people, people like they, they can't stop telling you, that they're leaving and they can't stop telling you why. And, and my, because intense criticism and intense judgment typically comes from intense love and an intense connection and resonance that that's, you know, uh, I'm, I'm only really mad at you too, because I really love you too. You know, and I really, I, I know I have a sense of what I think they're capable of. And when I see them falling short of that, it makes me angry but it's it's rooted in in love and i under so i understand it but um but i think that at any given point a third of my audience are people who don't like me ironically so yeah i I love what you said uh derek about um you know you're okay with people leaving it reminded me do you know who seth godin is sure of course yeah and you know he, he wrote this great book called tribes and, oh, yeah. and he makes a very similar point to what you're saying, which I think is such a, a a wise thing to for everybody, whatever you're doing. If you're a writer, you're a musician, a painter, whatever, even just a you know regular person in your life, like mm-hmm. to recognize like your goal isn't to please everybody. And if you're trying to create a product or create a song or create a book that makes everybody happy, you're going to fail because you can't do that, and that you really don't want to do that. What you want to do is to attract people that that listen to what you say or listen to your song or read your book mm-hmm. or whatever and they say yes yes that is exactly how i feel that right. that communicates exactly what i'm looking for and those are the people you want to stick right. around why do you want people to to hang out with you that really don't want to be there right no exactly and that's what i've said to people like if if the music that i'm making is not resonant or no longer resonant with you please go find music that is but don't feel like, but be free, be free of me. Like go, go elsewhere. Like I, I, I don't, I'm okay with it. I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to be okay. You're going to be okay. Um, <laughs> you know, but it's, it's just funny, you know, it's funny how that works. But, um, and if anything, I think art is so tricky too, because, and because there is this strange, kind of false intimacy that people have with, and it's not just, it's not one-sided. I think that artists feel um, a a certain relationship to their audience that is also kind of unrealistic and detached just as Mm -hmm. the audience feels towards an artist. And because um, there's this false sense in which we feel like we know each other or know things about each other. And that's, that's kind of true, but it's, it's probably more not true than it is. And, Um, so it, yeah, it, it just makes the whole thing really complicated. And I think that our, that the worst thing that an artist can do is really be concerned about pleasing anybody. I mean, I, I think of artists who I really love and trust 
And I think, you know, they're, they're, uh, like self-indulgence gets such a bad rap, but I think as an idea, but I think when you're dealing with trustworthy artists um, or, or good or even great artists, like the question you have to ask yourself is who would you rather them indulge? Would you rather them indulge their, the, the, their fans or, or their, um, you know, the, the record label, the radio, uh, I mean, all my favorite records wouldn't have been made if the artists were concerned what their fans thought. I'm thinking of records like Octoon Baby or Yankee Hotel Foxtrot or OK Computer or like none of those bands fans wanted those records. They all wanted the, the part two of the previous record. Um, so like what you want is your favorite artists indulging only their own creative instincts. Um, so I, I don't, I would never suggest to anyone to make art to please anyone that, because you're right about that. I think, I think that's absolutely spot on. Uh, (laughs) that's what I found. Um, Derek, Matt here. Um, you'd mentioned earlier that some people get upset when you're not changing in the same way that they're changing or perhaps not changing. Can you highlight maybe a couple of your changes or one in particular or two or three or whatever you feel like, um, that kind of highlight your major changes? Cause I'm, I'm assuming as an artist, you're always growing and you're always deconstructing, reconstructing things as you move. Um, can you maybe talk about a couple of those? Yeah. I mean, so going back to the idea that, you know, the job of an artist yeah. is to look at the world and describe it. That's tricky. That's tricky business because, um, being an auto, a professional autobiographer is tricky business because, because it's a job of a thousand variables because the world that you're observing is always changing. You observing it are always changing. You might document something, a specific idea or emotion in a particular moment. And then a year later, two, five, 10 years later, stand in that same spot and document it completely differently. Maybe not document it at all. You might frame it or focus it a completely different way because both it and you have changed. And so it's like, so you just run this risk constantly. And if you're doing the job right, you should be, um, it, you know, not just your, not just artists who you listen to, but also your friends or even yourself. If, if you still agree with 100% of everything that you thought was right, five, two, five, 10, 20 years ago, then that means you haven't learned anything. And that means you're not growing. And I don't think that's healthy. So you have to expect that your perspective is going to change and that's not a bad thing. But I think that when, when people connect with artists and maybe when there's a particular moment in an artist's career or a particular season or record or subject matter that was a, a particular point of resonance with you, then that tends to be the place where you kind of put it into park. But the artist is still in drive. And so, you know, that might be what you, what you want, um, you know, what you're, what you're looking for. And that's, and and that's where you want them to stay. And the thing is you have it. I mean, we're documenting, so you, you have that record, you can keep listening to it. And if that's as far as we go, then that's fine. But, um, but that's what makes it, that's what makes it tricky. So, I mean, yeah, there's been more than a handful. I mean, when I left my old band, um, and, and started to kind of stretch my legs a little bit as a songwriter and, and really find my voice and, um, you know, what I was writing on those early records was a little much for people initially. And it was kind of, I think, spiritually disruptive a little bit to people. And then it got a little political 
around the second act with Mockingbird and the Ringing Bell, and that you know, and and that I lost a lot of people there, and then beyond that, it moved on out into ethics and community and records like Stockholm Syndrome, and where it got more into race and sexuality, and and I lost a lot of people there, and um, you know, and then with the new record, Fingers Crossed, um, it's a, it's a pretty it's a it's a it's an autopsy it's an observation of grief and detachment and deconstruction around spirituality and relationships and that can be a lot for people and that might be the point where the resonance runs out and um but the thing is the same ethic produced all of these things so um like i'm still just looking at the world describing it just the same way that i did the same process that brought that produced all the Cadence Call songs also produced all my early records material and has also produced Fingers Crossed. And you, you, so anyway, you know, that that's right. um, and that's why I trust it, you know. Yeah. yeah. Hey, Derek, um, first of all, I want to this is Keith. I, I really love the new album, uh, Fingers Crossed. Thanks. It's amazing. And um, man, just as someone who has listened to to your records, so mostly to your solo stuff, I never listened to the came across yeah but um but really i think mockingbird is where i kind of picked up with you and just fell in love with your your honesty and um your bravery your courage to kind of tell the truth in a in a world where a lot of people like you said probably weren't ready for what you wanted to say Mm -hmm. at the time but fingers crossed is absolutely um uh, it's a great record it's a profound and powerful record but it's also i'll be honest very hard to listen to (laughs) in many ways uh, because it's so honest yeah, I'm sure it was. Um, so can you, um, is it okay if we talk about a couple of the, the actual songs? Oh, sure, absolutely. The record yeah. And, yeah. So um, just one of them I wanted to ask you about. What I love about what you're doing here, uh, at least as I'm looking at through some of the lyrics on the album, uh, it's this beautiful little dance, and, and I'm sure maybe some of it's intentional, where certain lines you don't know, is this song about God? Is this song about... Uh, relationship or, uh, you know, a, a person sure. or, or both. Um, but, and maybe, and maybe it is both, but I love, I think the song is love is not a choice. Mm. And there's a line I wanted to ask you about. So it says, uh, I'm just going to read sure. it real quick. He says, um, uh, you say, woke up and couldn't find you, couldn't find the children, a fuzzy head, blood on my clothes. And I could not remember if I had killed or saved you. I only knew I was alone. Oh my God. I came to just in time to watch it burn gasoline on my hands and a grave lesson learned. And then the chorus, that love is not a choice because I've chosen not to love you anymore and I don't have a voice that a heart can hear when a heart knows what it wants. So love is not a choice. Uh, beautiful picture. I love the images in that. Mm. And But my, my question was about, if, if, if you feel comfortable sure. talking about this, that the, the line about love is not a choice because I've chosen not to love you anymore. Mm-hmm. Um can, can you just talk about that a little bit? Sure. I have an idea of what I think you mean, but I'd much rather hear you. Oh, your sure, idea. sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, so I've, I've kind of said that the album is about, is a tale of two divorces, um, and which is exactly what it is. And, and that, and, and your, your question, you know, speaks to that. And, uh, and some of the lines are a little blurry um, on uh, song to song. Um, which, which, um, I, I like ambiguity. I, I like it. It, it causes people yeah. to lean in a little further and listen a little closer and squint their eyes a little bit. And I, and I like that cause it, it pulls people in a little bit. Um, I don't always do it on purpose, but I don't mind it when it, 
when it happens. And on a song like that, um, yeah, I, I, I think, uh, I think even the second pre-chorus speaks to it pretty well too. Um, if I can remember it, I think it's, uh, uh, I've loved you for so long and I love you today, but I don't know how long I can live in a house by your grave because love is not a choice. And so the idea behind the song, I mean, it's certainly a song about my divorce and it's, and it's a, it's, it's a, a song about, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a really, to me, it's a really complex, almost a feedback loop of wordplay. Um, because, uh, you know, it's the idea that I, hard as I have worked to, um, fall out of love, it has, it does Mm -hmm. not seem to be a thing I can will myself out of. It's, it doesn't, it's not a thing I can apparently choose to do or not do. And, and I know that, and and it's obviously also a play on words with everyone says, you know, love is, love is a choice. It's a choice you make. It's a, you wake up every day to come in. And I'm not really challenging that on the whole. I'm just saying there is a very real aspect in my experience of it that says to me, there are things about this that are just simply out of my control. And as, as much as, 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 as much as I wish I could simply wake up and decide. And, and interestingly, the parallel works. I also wish that I could decide to uh, inversely still be in love with the idea of a, uh, a um, benevolent intentional force in the universe, bringing all things under dominion and um, working all things out according to a plan. I, I, I wish I was still could still be in love with that idea also. Hmm. Um, but yeah. apparently love is not a choice. <laughs> and um, yeah. yeah, so it's something along those lines. That's exactly what I was hoping you were going to say, because that's what I thought yeah. you were, where you were leading. Yeah. And I thought that was beautiful. I love that that turn of the phrase and it totally, you're right. It totally makes you dig a little deeper and pause and consider again. Okay. What, what am I hearing? What is he saying here? And, uh, I love right. And, well, and I and, appreciate you listening so carefully. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm a, I'm a writer, so I'm a lyrics guy, man. I really there you dig go. That's right. So that's why I love your stuff. And, yeah, and Thanks. Easter egg is another one that I just thought I'm not gonna I probably don't have time to go deep into it, but uh, Easter egg is another sure. one that just again great lines, great stuff just to really make you pause and consider it uh, mm. what you're saying. And it is a fantastic record. I really encourage people to, uh, especially if they followed you at all, to check it out. Um, it's just really good stuff. I appreciate that. Yeah, and and I would hope that people would, even if they find themselves on the other side of, I mean, it's it's not as is typical for me, but it has never been more so than on this record. I, it's not, it, it's not a record of conclusions. It's, it's a, it's a record of questions. And yeah. I think that even if people find themselves on the other side of wherever they perceive me to be, um, that they would at least be resonant with, um, the questions that are there. And I think that anyone has kind of eyed the off ramp, um, whether they've taken it or not. And, and, um, because life is hard and, and really difficult to process and make sense of and to square with, um, you know, with, uh, with what you believe about 
the grid through which you're looking at it, sometimes it, it it's it, it's you know it's it, it's easily called into question. And so I, I would hope that people would at least be willing to see it as an honest emotional document, um, mm-hmm. and that maybe be enough. But if it's not enough, at least to be open to resonating with the questions that are there um, on some scale. I think we've probably all asked them, and so. Um, and, and, uh, yeah, so I, but I, I really appreciate your, your saying so. So can you, uh, kind of, we, uh, want to wrap it up a little bit here, but sure. before we go, I, I wanted you to talk a little bit, uh, be sure of course to tell people where, where they can get the record, but I noticed on your website, um, which is your web, it's just derekweb.com, but if they, uh, on your website, you're, you're doing something called the airing of grievances and I, I don't think it's related to Festivus, but um, could you talk about that a little bit? <laughs> Why are you yeah. Saying, yeah. What is that? Yeah. The, the, yeah. The, the airing of grief, uh, is, is the way I'm calling <laughs> yes. it because grievances sounds a little more like there's something to be angry about. Um, but the airing of grief sounds like there's a little more real estate there, um, for the process, um, and some, you know, some sadness and, and, uh, so yeah, I mean, I, I the, what's happened. So first of all, if people want to hear the record, they can pretty much hear it wherever they go looking for it. I mean, it's on Spotify, it's on Apple music, it's on iTunes, it's on, um, it's all up on YouTube. It's you, you can yeah. purchase, you know, CDs or vinyl from derekweb.com and all that sort of thing. So it's, it's not hard to find. Um, And, but as people were receiving it and listening to it very quickly, I got a sense, a strong sense of reaction from it. It, um, and was just really overwhelmed with people using it as an opportunity to tell their stories or where they are or have been in proximity to great loss and grief. And, around either a similar story in terms of the breakup of a marriage or the deconstruction of a spiritual worldview or whatever it is. And, um, and, and they were, there were so much of it and not, and, and, and the least of it was what was public. And, but there's a lot there too. There, there's a lot, there's a lot on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram or whatever, the places where people put that, those sort of things, log those sort of comments. But I also got just a pretty overwhelming amount of emails and direct messages from people and, and, um, texts from friends and, and, and what I, in having a handful of conversations with friends about what I was reading and observing, um, I, I realized that, you know, this is like when, when you're in the church, when you're in an organized gathering of, you know, around your worldview, it's like there, there's, there's a community to do that with you. And, and, and it's, and, and it really must be done that way. And I think that, and my understanding of Christianity is that it really is a law unto itself in terms of the way that it, it is only to be practiced communally. There, there is no version of it that is non-communal. Um, and the thing is, I kind of think maybe that's not unique to Christianity. I think that's how we are wired as human, as humans. And like, we're meant to do things together. And, um, so, so for me, what's made me sad is that there seems to be this scattering of people when they go out of or deconstruct their way out of a spiritual worldview or a church environment where suddenly we're expected to now do this all on our own, um, and to do it in isolation and, and to be, and, and it's really hard. It's, it's just, it would, it's, and I think it might be just as impossible as 
um, as the other to do alone. And, and so I, so I wanted to do whatever I could and play whatever role I could in helping bring those things into focus and, um, providing a space for people to do that together. And so my thought was initially, well, initially my thought was I just wanted to talk to people about it. I wanted people to have a chance to talk about how the record made them feel and not it being about the record so much as it being what it stirred in their story and why it was maybe particularly resonant or why they were angry about it and what they were not particularly resonant with about it. I wanted to hear all of it. And so I decided to do this thing, the airing of grief where people can schedule calls with me and I've, and I've been doing hours. I do a couple hours of 10 minute phone calls every day. And I, I have, I did about eight today. I did about eight yesterday. I do a few every day now and I record them all. Um, and with, with their permission, that's part of what you kind of agree to. And we talk, we just talk. I've had, I've already heard just in the last two days, I've heard some devastating stories. Um, and, but also some really hopeful stories of what people have found on the other side of, reconstruction and things like that. And my aim is to compile by topic, all of these conversations, um, and then to release them in episodes for people to listen to, to help get those conversations going. And for people to not feel so alone, because I think that what people are talking to me about on these calls, a lot of folks are going to find themselves somewhere in these questions and somewhere in these Mm -hmm. conversations. And then in addition, folks can write letters as well, which we're going to read and, and put with the calls and we're going to compile it into maybe a ha- maybe kind of half hour episodes. I hate the word podcast. I mean, the, the, like the world needs a, another podcast. Like I need a hole in my head. You're the com- right. present company excluded. But, uh, but uh, I just don't feel like I've had anything meaningful to contribute to the podcast world, but that's not really what this is. I mean, it's, it's going to be an episodic airing of grief. I mean, it's, we're going to air it out and we're going to air it literally um, on the internet. And, so yeah, that's and it feels like part of the record. I mean, every record has had every, every one of my records has had something that's come after that has been part of the record that you could see as an extension, you could see as an amplification, you could see as a piece of marketing, you could see as a lot of ways. But but something has always kind of a, a second piece of art has typically come up um, in the wake of every record I've made, and um, and and the airing of grief seems to be what's come up. For fingers crossed, and it's been fascinating so far, and and I'm, I can't wait to share share it, you know, with people. Wow, that is killer, man. I think that's fucking beautiful. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah, very very cool. Hey, man, yeah, we are we're out of time, I think, but um, sure. I want to thank you so much, Derek, for coming on and talking with us and sharing what's been going on with you and with your music. And I love what you just said about using. Um, so it isn't just about you and it isn't even just about your songs, but, you know, like providing a space for some healing community and letting other people tell their stories. Man, the fact that you're willing just to spend time with people and talk with them like that is absolutely fantastic. So absolutely. That's well, thanks. I really appreciate it. And if folks want to schedule those times, I mean, they're, they're, they, 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 they get snapped up pretty fast, but, um, uh, and I, I think, I don't think there's any available right this minute, but I'm always making more available. And so if folks want to go to my website, which is not ironically at derekweb.com, there, there's a link at the top that says the airing of grief and you can click there and, and it walks you through it. And there's an address to send letters and there's also a place to schedule calls if there's spots available at any given time. So if folks want to do that, they, they certainly could. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. That sounds great. Thank you so much, Derek. Awesome. That was, it's been a pleasure to talk to you guys. I really appreciate yeah, it. Let's do it. Yeah. Again. Thank you, Derek. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What, mm. what an interview. Um, Derek Webb, 
Yeah, he's just one of he, this guy has been. I, I've followed him for a long time. Um, years ago, like I obviously uh, kind of dabbled in Cademan's call a little bit. That's a it's a long time ago, many years ago. So like <clears throat> I don't I didn't follow him too much in that. But I but his his work after Cademan's call when he was really pushing the envelope in the Christian music world. Oh my gosh. I mean, like he got crucified, but like, I have so much respect for this guy and he's just, he's continuing. He's just continuing to live his life and, and do his work. So it was a fantastic interview. I'm such, so glad he was able to come on the Heretic Happy Hour because I've, I've really admired him from, a, from, from afar for many years. Yeah, me too. Right. And I just, I was just introduced to him. So I, I'm, I feel blessed by that. Um, I love what he said about, uh, not if people get up and walk away it's cool and if people love what he's doing it's cool like to to get to that place man woo like that that takes some yeah. maturity and that takes i think a lot of life experiences and having to go through <clears throat> excuse me going through the, through the fucking ringer um you know <laughs> well yeah you know i i remember um years ago uh i don't remember how it's been seven or maybe seven years ago but i i have somewhere i burned it to a cd it was so good uh there was a an interview where Derek webb and donald miller the guy who wrote blue like jazz just did this conversation back and forth with each other about kind of like what we're talking about and it was so good oh my gosh and and i'm glad i i downloaded it because it's gone now so I, as far as i know i haven't been able to found it again but that was it's gold i go back to that thing once in a while and just listen to some of the stuff they talked about. It was so good. Yeah, that's so. Yeah, I love Derek. Derek's awesome. He really is. And you know, one, one of the things I thought was really that just jumped out at me from his interview was um, he talked about creating like from this ethic. He like his 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 music. Um, he's like he said he has one purpose, and that is to tell to to describe the world. Um, I think it's his language was to, to describe the world as it is. And so when I heard that, I'm like, okay, what is he saying there to describe the world as it is? He's like, oh, he's really basically saying reality. Like, I, I want to like get what's real. Like, I, what I what I'm here to do is to speak about reality. It totally reminds me of Jesus, by the way, when Jesus said, "I am the way and the truth." And the word "truth" that's used in, in the Greek it really means reality. It's like I'm the reality and the life in the sense. Like, so we're, so we're talking about the way. It's a transcendent thing. He's like, look, before you can actually deal with life, you have to get real. It's like, get, just get real. So like we're, you know, so much of, of Christianity, so much of the world, not just Christianity, but I will say Christianity because I, I see it as a part of the world or the world system of things is built on total illusions, total fi- fiction. And so like when you start to see things the way it really is reality, like things get clearer and obviously we're all moving. It's not like everyone's got a corner in the market, but when we, once you get a glimpse of, it's like, I would call that a revelation or whatever you want to call it. You get a glimpse of reality. You start, you start like describing that. That's, the, that's the goal is to describe reality. And when he's done that, he, I loved what he said. He's like each project, each subsequent album that he's done. So like he was in the Christian music world and total, a lot of that is just total fake fake oh, yeah. bullshit whatever you want to say yeah i worked in the industry i, I can tell you I know it <laughs> it's is. amazing so like he's he like started to like see through it and not only see through it but call it out he, he obviously lost he lost a lot of following and each album that he's just he's just speaking from the heart speaking from reality i just thought it was amazing that he said my goal hasn't changed i still have the same ethic but but that ethic has led to him losing his following over the years each album he's right. lost more followers and he's okay with it. Yeah. That's well, that blows my mind. Yeah. 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 And and it's like it's it's just um I think that leads us perfectly into 
our our topic of conversation because it's like how how can it seems to me that how can someone lose that much of a following? I think he said a third, maybe, right? Well, yeah, he he did. He he said he he's like he, for him, a third of his audience opposes him, right? And I just thought that was really interesting because when it comes to like when it comes to like misunderstanding, like it's almost like it's irrelevant if people accept what you're saying or if they oppose what you're saying. It's like it's actually irrelevant, not because you don't care. It's because that's not my job. My job is to well, just speak from the heart to create and like, and my experience has been really there's, it's more, my personal experience has been like the people I'm talking to. I would say for me, it's been three, three fourths of the people I'm talking to actually are opposed to what I'm saying at some form, either through like, okay, you're challenging their belief system. You're, you're not like you're, you know, then they're questioning, maybe they're reacting and they're pushing back, which is totally fine. I have total I have no problem with that. I don't have any impatience for that. I can tolerate that. And even if I'm not going to change their mind, I may still push back or dialogue, not for really them, but for others that may be following the conversation. But there is not, there's a portion of the people that oppose like for, for Derek Webb. Like if, if, if somebody walks out, it's like, that's not good. And it's not bad either. It's like recognizing like, no, all, everything is actually unfolding the way it should. We're all learning in the process. I have no attachment to if someone's following or if someone's not following, but when it comes to there's some people though, and there's, and this is the way it works. And I, you know, it, they're not just disagreeing with you and they're not just, Hey, questioning, like, Hey, you're challenging my beliefs and I'm really trying to wrestle. Like, what does this mean? And like, there are some people out here that they actually are opposed, like, they are diametric. I would call it satanic. And, and I know it sounds harsh language, but, the idea is like the, Satan means accuser, accuser of, of, of people, you know? So it's like the, when, whenever there's um, the, the foundation is accusation, that's, that's fundamentally different than someone who disagrees. And that's fundamentally different than somebody who's trying to understand and just isn't grasping or wants to have dialogue about that. Accusation is actually the Satan. It is the satanic element that goes on in the world. It brings out the, it brings out absolute evil and in, in the people who participate in it. And you can get caught up in it really quickly. And it is though that when I see Jesus, like when I read the gospels, I see him dialoguing with teachers and people who come to him like Nicodemus, uh, you know, who doesn't understand, or maybe they have questions. I see him even dialoguing with like the lawyers who are like pushing back. Well, who's my neighbor, you know, and talking, you know, the, the, and so like that led into the, 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 the parable about the good Samaritan, you know? So I see him doing that, but here's what I also see him doing. I see him uh, totally and, and pretty brutally sometimes exposing the folks who are speaking the language of accusation and didn't shy away from it. Mm-hmm. And yes, of course it's coming from anybody who speaks the language of accusation. People I believe are inherently good. I don't believe that people are evil. So like if they're using that language, it is coming from pain. It's coming from whatever, but he didn't, he didn't pussyfoot with it. He didn't p- pass it. He didn't like, just like play around with it as if it's like a noble in its source. He really exposed it as as the evil that it is, and that's why I think what there's yeah. maybe a great lead into our conversation today about the nature of accusation. Going back to what Derek said, you know, when you lose a third of your audience, or Jamal, you uh, three quarters of your audience, I mean, it seems like when you when you touch a nerve so much that there is that spirit of accusation when that many people. I mean, unless you're just a complete asshole, which I don't think any of us really are. I don't think Derek is. Um, 
But when you when you've touched a nerve in in the religious community, we'll say that much, and that many people, and, and some thing, horrible things have been said about us. Um, it just in what we do mm-hmm. over the years, and Derek, I'm sure I, I read some articles. Um, you know, when I when we, before we were doing Derek's interview to catch up with with who he was, because like I said, I didn't really know him. Man, some pretty harsh things have been said that that seem to be from this spirit, from this place of accusation, and. and, and some of them are overt, you know, like the ones I've gotten wolf in sheep's clothing, you know, I've been accused of that. It's like, it's like, really, like when you, when you accuse someone of a wolf in sheep's clothing, like the wolf puts on the sheep's clothing, there is intent there. It's like when you attach that intent to say what that is, like, that's only from a spirit of accusation. And like you said, Jamal, that comes from the Satan, Hashatan. And, um, there are some scholars who would debate back and forth that, you know, maybe that means the executioner, not necessarily the accuser or um, different different definitions. But what, what we can see is behind um, this Satan, execution and accusation go hand in hand. Um, Jesus said the Satan's a liar and a murderer from the beginning, you know. So when you have this this spirit of wolf in sheep's clothing or heretic or all this <clears throat> you're just putting intent on people's action. Maybe we're just wrong, right? I, I mean, maybe the three of us are sitting around and we're yeah. wrong, but my goodness, like don't assume the worst in someone like we're out to deceive the multitudes and send them to hell forever. Like, give me a fucking break. Like that, <laughs> when that's your jumping off place and you're just going to point that accusatory finger, my goodness. And, 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 but then there's more subtle accusations as well, right? I mean, those are the overt ones, but we can get, we can get really accusatory really subtly, you know, when we gossip, when we, you know, when we do these sort of things, when we ask closed-ended, closed-ended questions with implied intent behind it seems to be more of a subtle form of accusation, but it seems to lead to more overt accusations, right? I don't know if that's been your experiences. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, here, here's what one thing I noticed that it used to really confuse me. Uh, I mean, genuinely, I'd be like, because I've had people who are not just internet you know, acquaintances, but people that are my actual friends, like I know them and their family and their kids go to school with my kids. And, and I've had them on online, uh, accuse me of stuff like this because they disagree with something I've said. And I'm like, what is going on, man? You know me, where is this, where is this coming from? Um, and so then I started noticing, uh, there's a verse in John eight forty which, which I found really interesting where Jesus is marveling at the same thing because he's telling people the truth and they want to kill him. Right. And he even says, he goes, but now you're trying to kill me, a man who is trying, uh, who's, who's telling you the truth. And so then I realized like, well, sometimes that's people, that is how people react, right? They, you tell them the truth, but that truth, they're not ready for it, uh, or it scares them or it angers them or whatever. And so they lash back out at you, um, <clears throat> in this, with this kind of anger and, and again, accusation becomes part of that. Um, but I, I was reading this thing. I, I'm going to just share this real quick and then I'll probably be done. <laughs> Cause the, but this is just something that, that as I was, we were talking about this topic, it, it reminded me of, I listened to this podcast a couple of years ago, um, where they, uh, they, they talked about something called naive realism or it's a blind spot bias. And the, the point is that we all, we all have this. It's not just, um, like the three of us are 
the purveyors of truth and people that can't handle it push back at us and call us names. Um, but, but we because we do the same thing. I do the same thing. I'm just going to go and admit it. You know, I've I've also been a victim of this, where I've I've been the victim of this. Um, but here's what they talk about. They they actually start off with the joke by George Carlin, where he says, "Have you ever noticed how everyone who drives slower than you is an idiot, but everyone who drives faster than you is a maniac?" <laughs> and all the, and that, <laughs> That's that joke. Um, it's, it's so true, but it's right. true, right? And, but see, but but that joke is is the illustration of what we all do. In other words, we make ourselves. And there's people who are like me are normal. Right. People who, who drive the way I do are are sensible and normal. Even even though let's say maybe that's eighty miles an hour, doesn't matter. That's normal. I'll justify why I drive eighty miles an hour. And someone who's slower than me is an idiot, and someone who's faster than me is a maniac, because I make myself the standard. So anyway, going into the science part of it, and I'll try to summarize this if I can. So these two scientists, Lee Ross and Andrew Ward, back in 1995, they did this study and they concluded that um, most people believe that the, their ideas and opinions have been arrived at only after very careful thought and study. But actually, that isn't true. Uh, and then we, but then we falsely assume that uh, a simple statement of facts which support our position will fix anyone who disagrees with us. So if I say something on Facebook and someone disagrees with me, I think, well, all I got to do is just say these few things and they'll get it. And I do that, and then they don't. Well, then I'll cut and paste something from from a source, and I'll put that in there, or maybe a link to something, a video or a blog, um, and then that doesn't fix them. And then at the end, I just throw up my hands and I say, ah, those people, they're either idiots, or they're blinded by the worldview, or they're brainwashed, or maybe, maybe they're even a subversive agent who is opposed to the truth, right? Right. And because, because I can't think of any other reason why they wouldn't see the truth or admit that I'm right, right? Because, of course... Uh, all I'm doing is giving them very well thought out, you know, simple truth. Why can't you just see the truth? But see, the thing is, they're doing the same thing to me. They're they're cutting and pasting from their sources and telling us, telling me, wanting me to understand why they're sensible and they're right and their ideas are so, you know, well thought out and based only on objective reality and truth. Uh, but I'm not reading theirs. Why would I bother to read their crap, right? Because they're obviously wrong. And so at the end, we just end up unfriending one another and we're done, right? Um, but the thing, the point that they're trying to make, though, is that we all do this. Right. Okay, we right. we all behave this way. And once you realize that, then when you're in the middle of one of these arguments on Facebook, you can you can hopefully take a step back and say, "Oh, that's what's happening here. We're not really listening yeah. to each other." Right. And I, I think I think um, for me, what's and I, I totally I've de- definitely been guilty of that, and just in my own journey. And then you start to realize, like when you realize we don't have an agenda. One of the I, again going back to Derek Webb's um, interview, what, what I appreciate about it is like to detach from the agenda all all we're trying to do is is to speak or tell reality as we've seen it from our own experience from our own yes. vantage point again it's not like but but then it's like okay you just put it out there because that's all you can do is you can just share from what you understand from what your perspective is and you know if somebody is disagreeing with that i used to be like oh take it personally if you have like a you know if your ego is fragile or if yeah, yeah you could very easily take that personally and say, and I have, you know, oh, well, they're not appreciating what I'm saying or whatever, but that's making meaning, you know, like that's just a meaning I'm attaching. It could just be like, Hey, I'm putting my stuff out there. And if someone has pushback, that's fine. Maybe it doesn't resonate with where they are. Maybe I listen to what they say and I go, yeah, I just, okay. That's, I used to think that way. I'd no longer think that way or, Hey, it, it doesn't really resonate. It's totally fine. It doesn't have to mean anything. Right. It's just like, Hey, that's out there. Or if someone gets up and is like, 
yeah, like I'm not really getting anything out of what you're sharing. I actually think I'm going to move on. I'm not going to listen to your podcast. I'm not going to read your book. I'm not going to read your blog, whatever it is. And it's like, Hey, I used to be take that very personally. Now it's like, you know what? That's totally, that's totally fine. Like I'm really just here to share my understanding. I mean, we all have a voice and we can share that and let the chips fall. There's no attachment. It's not good or bad when someone walks away or when they receive it. But the problem is when someone, if someone just quietly on their own read what you said or you know read your post and then just quietly to themselves said, hmm, I don't agree with Jamal. I think I'm going to stop reading his stuff. And then they just stopped reading your stuff. Again, like you said, no big pro- no big deal. The problem is when they read your stuff and they say, hmm, I don't agree with him. Yeah. Let me now post something about why he's, the, he's horrible and awful and evil and he's a false teacher and people should stay away from him. You know what I mean? And they make then, – then now there's these – sometimes it's subtle. Sometimes it's an accusation um, that's not – because because I think people sometimes are self-aware and they realize if I come across too strong with this accusation, uh, it's going to be too obvious. So I'll just kind of – I'll sort of subtly suggest possibly that, maybe there's something – That's where it crosses the line. It's like sinister there. Yeah. Well, I think – but it's so – it's so typical. I mean, read the book of Job, right? Um Job's friends show up and and at first they're pretty benign and Mm -hmm. then there starts to get a little more of a chatter of, well, you know, Job, you're, you're doing this and that, or or those who, you know, are wicked are going to reap, are going to reap these horrible things. And then, but then it gets even more, it gets less subtle and less subtle and less subtle to where, I mean, Job's accused of withholding, I think, food from um, poor people and, um, like binding the arms of, of orphans or, or something. But later, the point later, um, sorry, my memory, you know, I can't ever remember specifics. You know, I remember like the overarching thing and these specifics. I don't know how people rattle off verse after verse. Maybe but anyway, all the, all the, the point stuff. being like, <laughs> yeah, the point is that it gets worse and worse. And what starts as good intentions, really, the friends are just going to come help Job and give him some advice. But then it gets worse and worse. And then the whole community turns into this, this thing that's greater than the sum of its parts, right? You know, um, it's like, which, which the writer describes as like satanic or Satan, you know, and that's, that's how I see the Satan is like, yeah, we're all, we're all guilty of this. We all subtly accuse, we all overtly accuse at times. Um, but when we do it in this group that there's some great danger in that it takes on this, they, this other, like this greater than the sum of its parts thing that we, we call Satan. Um, but I think going back to beliefs and, 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 and why, why we do this, you know, Jamal and, and following up on Derek Webb, like not really caring if people walk out or if they stay or if they don't read our book or our blog, that's cool. But when, when we attach ourselves to our beliefs, I think that's when we are in danger of becoming the accuser. And so when we attach ourselves to our books and the beliefs in our books mm-hmm. or our music and what we're saying in our music, then we can become you know, not only do we show the fragility of our ego, but then we can become an accuser ourselves. Like, oh, these fucking people are walking away. Fuck them. And they're a bunch of assholes. No, that's we can't attach ourselves to even our beliefs or or the content we create around our beliefs or our worldview or how we're described. We've got to let go of, of those attachments too. read my book or don't read my book. It's all good. It's all good. Yeah, well, yeah, and I said that in the last podcast, the live podcast we did, you know, that the realization that I am not my beliefs, right? Uh, because my beliefs change. And, you know, over the last five years, 10 years, I've changed my beliefs about a lot of things. Be honest, 
a couple of the books I wrote, uh, I wrote a book called The Power of Weakness, and I wrote another book called uh, This Is My Body, which is about um, Ecclesia and the, the house church stuff. And there's there's chapters in both of those books that um, I want to go back and, and rewrite and change because I said things in those books that now I don't I don't believe. So I'm not. So it's you have to detach yourself from your beliefs because again, I, my whole thing is we're all in process. I think I know I am anyway, and so I don't want to hold too tightly to what I'm what I believe at the moment. Because I could be wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. You know, I've been wrong before, and I'll yeah, be wrong and again. The, there's, I think, for me personally, just speaking personally, whenever there's um, overt, like outright, just like if someone like accused me of being a bank robber, you know, like I, like that's just ridiculous. I kind of laugh. Or someone says, Jamal, you know, you're just you have no regard for, you know, we're gonna get into this in the next uh, topic. But they're like, you're just a sexist, Jamal. Like, I just laugh at that. Like, I just, okay. I mean, mm. you know, like, it, I don't take it serious. But here's, I mean, I kind of, I don't like to jump in on that in the sense of like, feeling like I have to defend that, you know, because it's just like, really, you you want me to prove I'm not a bank robber? <laughs> like, like, but it's the subtle, this right. is what the more sinister. And I think in the religious world, in the, like Christians, like, I think if they, they you know, if they speak any language, it's. It's, it's, it's the art of the subtle accusation and the subtle accusation is, well, you know, it's just your flesh. This is your, you know, gosh, you, 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 you really, you have, it's very clear that you are speaking from an, a, a wounded ego, you know, which may be true. It may not be true, but that's not your call to make. Number one, that's, that's, that's judgment. That's a judgment. Jesus was very clear in the way of Jesus. Judge not. That's not what you do. That's not your role. We do not ju- It's the whole tree of the knowledge of good and evil, always judging between good and evil. This is good. This is evil. This is good. You don't do that. Like, so the thing is, it's that subtle, it's the art of the subtle accusation. And it sounds dressed up. It's like dressed up in religious garb. It's dressed up in noble speak. But at the, at the root of it, it is, it is just as sinister because you're accusing, you're bringing an accusation and you can't, nobody can bring an accusation against anybody. Like, who can like even the scripture talks about that? Who can bring an accusation if God is for you? Who can be against you? Who can mm-hmm. we bring an accusation against the elect, which we all are? Yes, yeah, and no, I think yeah, the, uh, the, the I feel the same way about shame. I think it's very similar too. I, I have a friend or a couple of friends actually who will constantly say things like "shame on you, shame on you," and it really pisses me off. I just want to say no, no shame on me. You know, I'm sorry, I'm in Christ, and, and those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation. Christ took that shame off of me, and how dare you as a brother or sister in Christ try to put it back on me? Like, no, there is no shame on me, and then there, there's no accusation either. There shouldn't, we shouldn't deal with each other like that. That's not the way we um, should interact with one another. It's not to bring any accusation against one another, because we, should, we recognize all that's been removed. Oh, in, but it's so easy. I mean, it's so subtle sometimes and non-conscious. Yes. I was, um, I was tucking my daughter into bed the other night, and I said something to her, um, calling her out on something that she had done. And it's like only once I said that to her did I realize I had done the same shit earlier. And it was, um, you know, it was like. I, but I, I assumed, oh, you need to do this, sweetheart, because this is the right thing to do. And other, what I don't even remember what the topic was, but it was, then it was like it's it, it's like when it's like when the the um, the cock throw, uh, crows three times 
before Peter, yeah. oh, yeah. light bulb goes off. Fuck, I did that. Um, and I don't, I don't think Peter said that, mm-hmm. but <laughs> that's my, that's that's Matt's well, he did first. First. Uh, But but well, yeah, yeah. yeah Peter was right. a fisherman, man. Come right. on, I'm sure he had salty language. Right. Um, but it's just so subtle, Keith. You know, it's like, but we got to recognize this. We got to recognize when we're doing it. It's like. I've done it. I've recognized it when I was subtly gossiping about someone and I realized, oh, this person that I'm talking with, that I'm gossiping with, oh, we're getting kind of close, you know, we're getting uh, kind of friendly with each other because we're able to say, oh, this person over there, haha, they're kind of, they did this and that. And it brings mm-hmm. this unifying, this, this sense of cohesion. Right. Right. It, it's like all magnetic. Right. 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 And, but it's so subtle. It's so non-conscious. Uh, we're, we're walking around. That's, that's what's yeah. so crazy about all this. It's like, it's like we don't even realize we've done it until after we've done it. And then we're able to look and say, oh, shit, that's what I was doing. And I didn't even yeah. see it at the moment. Yeah, well, that's the whole thing, too, where like we, if, if we think about someone that you really dislike, right, or something you really dislike about some person, a particular person, uh, I've done this, where I'll start re- reflecting on it and realize, you know what, the thing I don't like about them, the thing that really bugs me the most about them, hmm. it, you know why it bothers me? Because I'm the same damn way. Right. I feel the same way. I, you know what I mean? Like maybe they do it worse than I do, or they do it in a way that's more obvious, like I'm better at hiding it. Sure. But but that's what bothers me about them and being around them is what, honestly, what's happening is they are a constant reminder to me of my weakness and my flaws. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and I don't like that. You right. know? Yeah, so right. <clears throat> here, here's something that um, I think is important. Like, so how do we, okay. So I think there's a, there's a the question is how do you deal? Because I don't think there's a human being that's listening to this podcast that do, is not going to deal with this issue of accusation. It doesn't, you don't have to be a public person. You don't have to be a writer or a podcaster or whatever to, to, to experience right. accusation. We all experience it at every level. And it, we all accuse. And we all Sorry, accuse. And, and, we reject, right. and we do both. And right. there's a voice in our head that's constantly accusing us. That's always yeah. questioning your worth, always questioning yes. your, you know, whatever it is. And it's, it's something we deal with internally. So the question is, um, when when it's coming from another person, how do you how do you deal with accusation on a personal level? Like, because I think there's a personal way to deal with it, and then I think there's a a, a more corporate way to deal with it. That's my yeah. so so for me personally, um, I I feel like in order to forgive, because it's really important. Like I think all of us, everybody that's listening to this, like nobody doesn't have to wrestle with forgiveness at some level. We've all been hurt. Um, and so like, I really feel like Jesus obviously being the standard that this is the standard bearer. So on the cross, I mean, the accusation that came at this man to even lead to that is, is astronomical. Like it's unbelievable. Yeah. The kind of accusation that happened. And so like, he's being accused, he's being murdered. So he's being nailed to the the, the cross. And so like, what will keep his spirit alive in the sense of not sinking into bitterness? What is going to keep this man flowing with love? It is because at a personal level, he understands they don't know what they're doing. So he's able to say, this is not their intent. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Because ultimately, an accuser, somebody who is, who is bringing accusation, they don't understand what they're saying. And it's coming from pain. Even the people bringing the accusation against Jesus, I, I guarantee you, if you if you want to get into the psychology of it, there's real pain and fear. Right. Oh yes, so yes. It's, 
it's not to minimize. I mean, I don't think you're saying like you guys don't matter. Your pain doesn't matter. So like at a personal level, you forgive. But then at a corporate level, I also see Jesus exposing the Satan, exposing not on a person. He's not like making a person the scapegoat. He's not like he was right. being scapegoat. So he's not like scapegoating them back. But he is highlighting the broader conversation of or the broader element of the system of Satan, the system of accusation. And that's why I do think, and then when people operate in it, he would say, get behind me, Satan, even to his own friend or to the Pharisees when he'd be like, you know, you brood of vipers, you know, or, which is pretty, you have the father of the devil, you know, but, but I think that's, uh, I think those are some things to understand. And like, I do feel like there's a real lack of discernment in specifically in, in the Christian world of like being able to really correctly discern what is an accusation. And I think you, we all know what it is when it comes against you. Like, you know, it, you can feel it in your spirit. Oh, yeah. it, it, it's like sucks the life out of you. It makes you, it actually feels like death when it comes at you yeah. because it is death. Yeah. But I think it's then important to, um, to, to be like Jesus and remove the intent from the action. And to also say like, to, to expose it. Yes. But to say, to talk about it in such a way like Paul did, like it's a power and principality. It's something that, you know, he says, I, I don't do what I want to do and I do what I don't want to do. You know, that's how he talks yeah. about the will uh, and that we are enslaved and we need to see this, um, this enslaving mechanism as something that's over us. So we don't, we, we got to remember not to, not to think that someone's always acting out of their own in malicious will or to say, oh, this person's just a, you know, a, whatever the things we've been called or have called others, you know, wolf and sheep. This is this person. This is their intent because I saw this action. And it's like, no, we need to talk about these things as these um, overarching principles so that we can remove the intent from action and then freely offer forgiveness. Um, so yeah. that, and that's what Jesus did. And I think that's what Paul did for the most part. Um, I mean, he didn't do it on the cross. So, but you know, Jesus, yeah, like you said, he's a standard bearer and, and yes, he calls it out, but, but at the end of the day, like the P the, 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 the moving parts within these systems that we have, um, they don't know what they're doing and we don't know what we're doing, which is, yeah. which is why we all need grace, you know? Yeah. I think we have to, I, I think it has to start with, it totally is to me the whole thing about, you know, um, I, I, it's, I'm very, very aware of other people's flaws. I'm not very aware of my own, or if I am, I, I, you know, bury it a little bit. So it's, it's totally the, the, the speck in my brother's eye, which is so obvious to me in the, in the beam that's, uh, invisible in my own eye. Right. So I, to me, I think it starts with, you know, how do we deal with accusations? Well, start with myself, like, in what ways do I accuse other people and in what ways do I prejudge them? And on, let's, I'll be honest with you guys. Um, I, I think this is true. I, I don't, I don't typically accuse people on social media, on Facebook. Like if someone's coming at me, I don't do a tit for tat thing. I don't come back at them with like, well, you're probably blah, blah, blah. Um, but, but I mean, but I don't in the comments, but in my mind right. or in my heart, I probably do say that guy is just an ass, right? Or this guy is just, you know, uh, I, in other words, I create a, a, a model in my mind of what's wrong with that person. Right. Um, and I, and I create this and I judge them. Right. And I, in my mind and my heart, I am accusing them of some things. Right. So I think it has to start with us first. Uh, social media makes it really hard. I think Facebook especially makes it really hard. Once this, once this 
accusation thing starts happening. And so they accuse you of something and you feel defensive and then you're trying to, what do you do? How do I respond? Do I ignore it? Do I, do I try to address it to whatever? I mean, you're almost, it's a no win situation. Uh, and, and, you know, what I've tried to do, sometimes I'll just try to private message that person and just go, you know, like, Hey, Hey man, Hey brother, Hey, Hey sister. Um, I saw you made that comment that really bothered me. You know, can we talk or if I can even, can we Skype? Can we actually have a conversation about this? Like I, uh, and I've even told some people, I, I am not going to deal with you any further until we talk about this, unless you're able to come on and talk to me about it on the phone or on Skype, we're done. I'm not going to pursue this anymore. Um, there was a, did you guys see, I know, I think someone shared it in the Facebook group, uh, that whole thing Sarah Silverman did, um, where this guy called her a cunt. And her response was, oh, yeah, to, thank you. I, I was waiting for that. <laughs> I'm just quoting what he said. Um, and, and, and her response was the most Christ-like thing I've ever seen in my life uh, to just totally, you know, say, hey, I know you're coming from a place of pain. And where does that come from? And she drew the guy out. He confessed his, his situation, his pain, some of what, you know, the root of it. She you know, found out he had back problems. She rallied people in San Antonio where he was from to give him, uh, help him with some therapy. And uh, he apologized, of course. But what's funny is he didn't apologize to like 10 10 things down the line. He did not immediately apologize, but eventually he did and say, Hey, I'm sorry. I was, I, I said that to you. But the, anyway, the, the resolution of this thing was this beautiful Christ-like picture of someone who I'm pretty sure Sarah Silverman is not a Christian. Maybe she is. Uh, but, but at the same time, what an amazing example of, well, if there's an, if there's a typical example of that's a beautiful way to address someone who is accusing you of something or, or attacking you in some way of like, Dry, drilling down into that person, who are they? What is their pain? Uh, let's just ignore anything and everything they say about me personally. Let's just drive down into like seek healing for that other person. Now that takes time and energy, and frankly, that's really hard to do uh, on a regular basis. But I do think that's a great example of of how we could respond yes. uh, in a way that could arrive at some healing. I wish I wish I did that more often. <laughs> well, I think it's a, it's a matter of discernment. So, for example, like this, you know, that's a response to accusation, right. but I don't know that it's the response because, um, and I think there's this idea out there that is like, well, that's the way Jesus would respond hundred percent of the time. And he didn't, he just didn't and he like, like, like there were times I think he probably did do that, but like we just going from the canonical gospels that we have, it's like, you know, we have, um, this example of, um, of, of, of like, like highlighting the essence of it, because sometimes when someone's coming at you with uh, accusation, um, it, you're not actually even speaking to that person because it's actually not the person speaking. It is this, this kind of this overarching spirit of that really is built from it's coming. The foundation of it is coming from a faulty identity. And so like, that's what, so when you, when someone's speaking that language, you, you to reason with that, oftentimes it, it's like, you're, it's like you giving somebody bullets for the gun they're going to shoot you with. And that's often what happens. Well, and that's what happened with, that's why I think Jesus many of the times when these accusations were coming before his crucifixion, he just was silent. Like he was very quiet um, yeah. because, yeah. because there was no reasoning with so, those people in that sense. So I think it is a matter of discernment. Um, well, but, but, but I don't think anyone's saying like, 
what Sarah Silverman did was reasoning. Like she was just actually just loving. Like the yeah. reason reason was that's kind of unreasonable. <laughs> what she yeah. did does sound unreasonable because well, she had a dialogue. She, she probably read with him, you know, obviously. But I, I guess that, that, sure. But I, it's, it's a it's a approach. Is not to me. It's not the approach because I've done that. Yeah, and I've it's not. I, I, oh, sure, yeah. sure. I've sure. tried as well. There, I've had some times. I'll be honest. I've never had the uh, storybook ending that she had, but I, but I have had occasions when someone is like just really un- unreasonably attacking me and coming at me and calling me names and all that kind of stuff, just like over the top. Where I have been able to just like respond in the most gushy, loving, God bless your brother way, and no matter what they say, I'm just blessing them and blessing them and blessing them, and 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 they will eventually. I mean, again, they don't turn around and go, "Oh, Keith." I'm sorry, man. You know, let's be bros. Uh, but but they have they have at least stopped attacking me, and because like they they're just tired of everything they say. I just come back at them with a blessing. Um, they're just like, oh well, you're not going to play ball with me. You're not going to give me what I want. You're not giving me the reaction I want. I'm going to I'll go somewhere else. Um, but sometimes it does work. You know, I, I agree with you, Jamal, in one sense that yeah, I don't think there's a in general. I don't think that we should look for uh, formulas. Right I, think, right. I think we do look for formulas. Oh, and if, if this ever happens, do this. We do formulas in prayer. We do formulas in evangelism. We do formulas in, you know, we just want a formula, but God is not a formula. God doesn't work that way. Right? God wants us. Everything is it's unique totally. and every situation is unique. So I agree with you in that sense that uh, maybe with a particular person, you know, uh, maybe, maybe the best thing to do is just walk yeah. away because they're not going to, they're not going to back down. And here's right. the practical question, right. uh, you know, just more of a practical um, thing to think about is like, okay, people who, so there's a difference between accusation and disagreement. So like people can disagree right. with our positions or the things we're saying, but it doesn't mean they're accusing you. So, so here, here's, yes. here's the, I think the million dollar question, because obviously we're having a conversation about deconstruction, reconstruction. We, we are challenging, you know, firmly entrenched belief systems. And so this is a, this is going to be, that's not going any, going away anytime soon. So the question is, um, how can we disagree with each other and even challenge some of our thinking and ideas without actually resorting to accusation, which it so often happens? Like, so how can we not accuse even subtly or overtly and yet still, still maybe even push back against ideas and things that we're saying? Yeah. Well, I yeah, think we I, have to do exactly what you said. We have to believe the best of people, assume the best of people and, right. and discuss concepts and discuss ideas without, without resorting to getting personal. Yeah. And I think we have to, when we question each other, I think we have to ask really open-ended questions. Yes. Um, Any, any, any close-ended questions, yes or no questions, up and down questions, left and right, black and white, those questions, they have their purpose. Do I take a right here or do I take a left here, honey? Or, you know, um, (laughs) things like that. Uh, But when we're, when we're asking the deeper questions of life, the existential questions, the cultural questions, the theological um, we've got to be really open-ended in our questioning of others. Uh, because when we, when we have some intent and in some impl- in some implied intent in our wording, maybe, or we're asking, you know, Keith, why are you, why are you a fucking asshole? It's like, well, or are you, are you a fucking asshole? <laughs> you know, um, no, but I've implied that you are when I ask right. you that. Right. Um, you and, know, and if Keith so, answers that, yeah, I think we need to be. Why are you so defensive about that, Keith? <laughs> sure, I'm sorry. Uh, you just. <laughs> well, that's exactly what happens, right? Then they accuse right. you, and then no matter what you say, pretty much, it's like, oh sure. man, you're so defensive. I must have touched a nerve, bro. 
because there, you know, you responded like, like it was so much passion, even if like, there's no passion at all in what you said. Uh, yeah. You just create, so, uh, yeah. you create your own narrative. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I always, always, always just go towards the open-ended questions rather than the closed-ended questions. That's a great, that's a really great point. And I, I, I have figured this one out now that statement alone is, is like, if somebody's like operating in some accusation, they're going to come at me like that Jamal is such an arrogant ass, you know, but like, no, I seriously have figured this one out. So here's, <laughs> the, here's the thing. Um, how do you respond? Um, how do you respond to, how do you disagree with that accusation? I have this, I really feel like it is all hinges upon how we view um, our own, our own nature, our own heart. And what came, like I was having this dialogue recently with a person and we were obviously disagreeing and there was a lot, there were subtle and not so subtle accusations being thrown at me in the conversation. And I said, so my only response was, and it, and it was like, Hey, look, like they were trying to like say, Hey, can't you see like you're messed up? Can't you see blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I'm not saying I don't have, you know, areas to grow or whatever, but like, but I know my heart and I know my motivation and I know my heart. And so, and my heart is actually really good. And when I said that the response was, that's disgusting. You are egotistical. Mm -hmm. You are this. And to, and to me, it's like, there's there's the reason that you can't see the accusation because when you believe something negative about yourself, when you believe you personally believe, if you believe that saying that your heart is good is actually disgusting, that's what you're operating from. And so that's an accusation against your own nature. That's an accusation against your own character, your own person. So if you believe in your own inherent goodness, then you cannot accuse another person who is just like you. In that sense, you right. cannot bring accusation against other good people if you actually believe that people are fundamentally good and have beautiful hearts. You can't do it. It's impossible. I think it's yeah. really coming back down yeah, to how that. Can, yeah, how can you believe the best about someone if you don't believe the best about yourself and you assume that there's nothing good in them either? Uh, yeah, so you, you're definitely not assuming the best of the other person. And like you said, you're kind of projecting um, on the other person you know, your own negative feelings about yourself and all that. Well, and my goodness, we are made in the image and likeness of God. Now, right. our, yes. our will, our freed will is, as David Bentley Hart says, primordially and teleologically oriented toward the good. That means from our starting place mm-hmm. to our ending place and our purpose, it is good. It is going towards um, an ending that is good because it, it, it's from a creator who is good. And we are not just these autonomous things we are we are we have the spark of the divine in us so our very nature this whole this whole this whole augustinian original sin bullshit doctrine needs to go like we are good we are made in god's image and god is good Mm. so so that that's that's our uh, that's our that's where we're from that's the that's our connection is to that good divine source where else is there you're like a divine being it. Imagine that. That's it. <laughs> we're like we're like humanity and divinity all in one person. Yeah, we're like the incarnation of Christ in the world. You know, where uh, I, I Christ is in me and Christ is in you. And you know what, guys? I was thinking that this is that we need to do a whole podcast just on what we just ended with here because I think this is such a key thing, man. I think so many Christians um, they don't believe 
in their heart that they are good or that they Christ could make them someone yeah. how are we who like is God? good who can, how are we like yeah that's we got to do that we're like God yeah we got to do that you're like God but I think we're out of time for this one we're out of time so yeah next next episode gender wars Amanda Eosa Jory Micah heretic of the week looking forward to it yeah and don't forget don't forget don't forget don't forget don't forget because we have the heretic hotline that's available it is what is the number Always open. Two four zero three heresy. That's right. Operators are standing by. 